Your dog goes golfing. Um, uh, he has yet to go, but he's ready. He's ready just in case. He's ready. He is. He's prepared. The attire is there. And this is one of the rules you see, you know, like you have Newton's laws of motion and, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. There's the shiny bees theory of dogs in knitwear. And it is never, ever a big dog. Big dogs are never seen in knitwear. It's a thing. It's always a Yorkie, a Westie, or more often than not, that most... Ridiculed of dogs, the Dashund, <laughs> always. Podcast Junkies, episode 90, 90, 10 away from episode 100. Who would have thought when I started way back in April 2014 that I'd be in the home stretch to 100? It's going to be so fantastic. I have no idea what I have planned, who I have planned. It's a surprise to me. If you're new to the show, I'm Harry Duran. I'm the host of Podcast Junkies, and I am your pilot for this episode. We talk to fantastic podcasters. You come every week. You show up. You are totally blown away. You're amazed. You tell your friends. It goes viral, and everyone is just so happy in the world because of this show and the happiness you brought to them because you introduced this show to them. It's a good thing, right? I think you need to spread the podcast junkies love far and wide, my friends. Let's do that. Can we? I think we can. Last week, we spoke to Jan Ilunga of Locarno, Switzerland. I just like saying that, Locarno. (laughs) It just rolls off the tongue. And uh, he was really engaging, really funny. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, uh, give me some feedback on that. Uh, he speaks five languages. I still can't get over that. And he's just so passionate about podcasting, man. And it, and, and it really uh, resonates and, and vibrates in, in everything that he does. And I'm really happy that uh, I had him on. This week, we keep it in international mode because we talked to Joe Mil- jo Milmine. And she is a podcaster I came across when I was at a, an event called The 90 Day Year uh, with uh, my friend Todd Herman. And we just got to chatting at the reception event. Her podcast is about knitting. And uh, it's the first podcast host I've had on the show who hosts a podcast about uh, something in the creative arts. I hope. I hope I'm not misstating something there. Definitely the first knitting podcast. Joe, uh, she was really funny. It's really funny, really um, warm and... Um, She's been doing this a while. I believe she's up to episode 70, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And she's just, um, she has such a loyal following of listeners. It was just fascinating to hear the stories of the people that interact with her on the show, um, the things they've, they've learned, the places they've been while they were listening to the podcast. Listen closely. There's about three or four places where people have heard her show that you're going to leave you scratching your head as to like, what were they really there when they were listening to that? So stay tuned for that. Um, that was really fun that she uh, pointed that out to us. So, uh, it was just interesting. And, and it just goes to show you that no matter what the topic of the podcast is, it's just more interesting for me, just the mindset about you know why they started the show, why they keep doing it, the feedback they get from their listeners, this this whole 
combination of uh, elements is really what what this show is about like piecing them all together and showing you this this wide cornucopia of uh personalities and experiences that make up this this podcasting sphere so um i really am, am happy with this conversation brought a smile to my face and uh, i hope you enjoy it as well uh, what else? Um, listen to the end of the show. We give something called a retention hashtag, and that's where I see if you've been paying attention. So it's it's such a little treat for regular listeners, and I am very happy to those folks that uh, occasionally put it into their Twitter feed. I'm talking to you, Patrick. I'm talking to you, Denny. I'm talking to you, Jessica. Uh, you guys uh, really uh, have a special place in my heart because um, without fail. Um, you always put that in the Twitter stream and I appreciate it. Stay tuned as well to the end of the show. We've got a new, uh, sponsor. It's cast source. Uh, really quickly. It's a, it's a service for podcasters specifically who are interested in getting transcriptions done for their show. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go into more detail about their service because I think it's fascinating, but I just wanted to give you a, a teaser here, uh, about the service and what they provide and um, the page you can go to for more information. So stay tuned. But for now, enjoy my conversation with Joe Milmine. I'm ready. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Joe Milmine, thank you so much for joining us on Podcast Junkies. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Harry. So uh, I always like to give a bit of backstory. And uh, every, every encounter always has a, a, a backstory in terms of how people met and we actually connected at uh, Todd Herman's 90-day year. It's almost been uh, two or three weeks back in Las Vegas. Yeah, it seems a lot longer. It seems a lot longer, but yeah. And so uh, what I love about interacting in person with people is I get a, a good feeling and a good vibe in terms of how we connect. And I'm not sure if you find that that's the same thing for you, but it's just for me a better... Uh, sign of of how a possible interview can go in, in terms of how you can connect with someone whether you can have a conversation with them uh for an extended period of time and whether, <laughs> <laughs> for and, and whether you enjoy their company i think those are mm -hmm. all things that bode well and that's one of the reasons um we you know the signs were there for for us and and i'm, and I'm glad we had we had that chance to uh have a conversation and why i thought it made sense for you to come on yeah absolutely um, I think you can definitely judge a lot easier in person uh, as to someone's sort of how they are and whether you're going to have a laugh, basically, because that's the main thing. I think that's that's really it, right? Isn't that it? at the end of the day, the ability to just not take ourselves too seriously and, and, and just have a good time? Yeah, definitely. Maybe that is it. That could be the thing that we, we bonded over. <laughs> exactly. So I was uh, very fascinated to learn that you're the host of the Shiny Bees podcast. And when you were explaining to me the subject matter of the podcast, I found it really fascinating. So I thought you could uh, share that with the audience. Yeah, so the Shiny Bees podcast, it's, it's a bit of a beast, really. It is a knitting podcast. Uh, for knitters, but there does tend to be quite a liberal dosage of, of other things in there, sort of comedy, stories, um, interviews with people working in the industry. Very occasionally there'll be um, 
just random kitschy stuff, you know, things that you liked when you were at school that everyone, everyone did, you know, like trends, we'll talk about that sort of thing. And there's always at least one mention of dogs in knitwear per episode because... It's just funny. There, there are rules for dogs in knitwear. Well, that's funny. That you, when you say that, you made me think of um, we, my, my wife has this small bag and it's a collection of just random clothing we've collected for our Yorkie <laughs> over the years. <laughs> um, and it's so funny, when, depending on the, the guest you bring on to the sh- I bring on to the show, I, I always go down some weird rabbit holes. And this is the first time I've talked about the, my, the, my, the clothing for my, my Yorkie. His name is Disco, by the way. I love that. <laughs> he, he's got, he's got, uh, he has a, a shiny, he's got a tight black tee for when he's going clubbing and it, in, in rhinestones, it, it says, uh, disco. Let me just stop that. Sorry, mate. No one ever rings the house phone <laughs> unless it's bloody PPI. Do you have PPI in America? What's PPI? PPI is this thing that the bank sold to everyone, right? So it's like insurance. Okay. Um, for if you don't pay for your loans and your credit cards. Um, mm. But they didn't tell anyone they were selling it. So now you get home phone calls all the time at home saying, you know, we want to get your PPI refund or whatever. And nobody else ever rings me other than PPI or double glazing salespeople. It's ridiculous. That's I do apologise. No, no, no worries. <laughs> you tell me about disco. <laughs> yeah, so so what I was saying is it's, it's funny how... Um, you know, when I'm, we went through his, we went, we pulled out the bag a couple of weeks ago. He has like a, a like a tight black tee for when he's going clubbing, and it says, uh, <laughs> it actually says disco and like rhinestones. He's got a trench, he's got a trench coat, which my wife said is, is for his business meetings. He's, <laughs> he's, he's, we were living in New York, so he has like a little um, parka, like sweater type thing with a furry hood, and uh, what else? And then he's got, oh, he's got his preppy when he goes golfing. He's got his preppy polo shirt with the collar. So. <laughs> Your dog goes golfing. Um, I, he has yet to go, but he's ready. He's ready just in case. He's ready. He's he ready. is. He's prepared. The attire is there. And this is one of the rules you see, you know, like you have Newton's laws of motion and, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity. There's the shiny bees theory of dogs in knitwear. And it is never, ever a big dog. Big dogs oh, yeah. are never seen in knitwear. It's a thing. It's always a Yorkie, a Westie, or more often than not, that most ridiculed of dogs, the Dachshund, <laughs> always. There are, there are certain breeds that it, this, this trouble affects. And, uh, and yeah. Well, it's funny because it's I, I, um, does your podcast, fo- it focuses on all aspects of knitting. So it really doesn't matter who or what you're knitting for. It's just, you know, the, the, the joys and, and, and the fun of actually doing it. And at the end of the day, people do it for different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, you would be surprised. You'd probably even pale at some of the knitting patterns that are available out there for you to reproduce for your own fun. And, and that is quite a regular segment also on the podcast is finding these patterns, you know, because you would not believe what you can find patterns for. So we should, we should dive deep into a couple because I'm sure we'll, uh, the listener find them entertaining. What's some of the, the, the strangest or funniest patterns you've seen people come up with? Well, I do have a few favourites. I have a few people who get the whole sense of humour thing. Um, so one of my personal favourites is a lady who does uh, knitting patterns for uh, toilet um, sets. 
would be, I guess, the word that you would use for it. So she has a Christmas one. I discovered it on the Halloween one. Um, basically, it's an entire knitted for the cistern. So you get a cover for the cistern and then you get a cover for the seat. Um, themed, this was themed as a pumpkin. And then you get a matching um, Kleenex cover and a matching toilet roll cover because that that's a bit of a british thing as well to have little covers over your toilet rolls so one of my listeners actually designed one of those and knitted it and sent it to me in a christmas package very nice yeah so you come to my house you'll see my snowman <laughs> covering my uh, toilet roll and uh, she's done a whole a whole range of those which you can reproduce for your your pleasure you yeah. know you could do a disco themed one even if you wanted yeah um and one particular favorite and I'm not quite sure how we got onto it. I think it might have been a themed episode around uh, Movember, which is when you grow a moustache in November to raise awareness of men's cancers. And somehow I got onto the thong song uh, <laughs> and ended up looking up knitting patterns for this. And there is a, an actual pattern on our social network called Ravelry where you can knit out of strawberry laces, under edible, undergarments knitted edible strawberry lace undergarments there is a pattern also for that so i've never i've never done it i'm not gonna <laughs> lie harry i've not done it but um you could if you wanted to not you that, could not, not that there would be anything wrong if you did there's not no and there's there's a place for all of these things there's a place for the super serious you know very correct traditional stuff there's a place for the modern versions and there's a place for comedy so there's always a place for comedy there should always be a place for comedy absolutely the, what fascinates me is a couple of things you said there's um so there's a, uh, a social network you said for the knitting community there is what is that called again it's called ravelry okay so it's r-a-v-e-l-r-y.com We'll put that in the show notes. And you, you absolutely should. <laughs> and, and, and there's actually uh, thread, edible thread. <laughs> well, it's stra so, strawberry laces. It's strawberry I don't know laces. what they're called in America. That's funny. Um, yeah, just red, long red laces. It's like sweeties. Okay. Um, candy, I guess it would be their candy. Um, oh, yeah. And it's just a really thin, long red lace. They've been doing them since the dawn of time. Really? Um, but you can buy packets of it. Uh, it comes in more than one flavour. Um, <laughs> of course. Of course, yeah. But the, but, but the sample, the sample's knitted is strawberry. So, um, yeah, and Ravelry's got five million knitters on there. Wow. Five million, yeah. And you can, it's a bit like Facebook. You can set up your own profile and you can have friends and all of the things that you knit. You can link to the pattern and you can put your version on your pictures. You can put notes on if you've changed it. Um, you can review yarns and everyone lists all of their yarns on there. The patterns are all listed on there. And so there's this whole sort of underground scene of independent designers that are producing their own pattern PDFs and selling them on Ravelry, apart from like your standard pattern houses. Yeah. So, so, so it's, it's, it's its own um, ecosystem that's being created there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. very much so. Very fascinating. So I, I I heard in your early episodes you talked about what inspired you to get into knitting, and you mentioned the importance of your grandmother, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how important um, having her as an influence has been for you um, growing up. Um. Yeah. So my granny, bless her, um, Scottish proper nails you know like one of these hardcore lovely but quite fierce ladies um a little bit like super gran 
out of the box. And um, when I was sort of five or six, she was always knitting. So my brother and I would be sort of decked out in matching acrylic Aran jumpers with a pink collar for me and a blue collar for him because this is like the late 80s and that's what you do. And uh, she would just turn out all this knitwear for us. And she had four boys and she always wanted a daughter. And I had an older cousin, but she looked after me because my mum had to go back to work quite early on. So she looked after me. She'd just retired and she's like, oh, I'll look after the baby, go back to work. So I was there a lot of the time and being quite a kind of bookish child who's interested in everything and wants to be doing something all the time. She had to kind of constantly come up with ways of, of entertaining me. Uh, one of which was, you know, teaching me card games, <laughs> an important skill for all young children, playing a lot of gin rummy um, and pontoon and blackjack. And another one of these was knitting. So obviously I saw her knitting all the time. So the first thing I knitted was this hideous, hideous, um, it was going to be a scarf, but of course I got bored halfway through because everyone does who knits a scarf. Um, and I was knitting it from the leftovers of the Aaron jumper. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen this before. Um, so I started knitting um, that and ended up turning it into a hot water bottle cover. That's how far down I got <laughs> down this line of knitting. And I didn't really ever take it up in a big a big sort of way at that stage. It was like this thing I could do and I'd knit squares for orphans at school and all that kind of stuff that you do. And it's something you kind of put down and you don't really come back to. Yeah. Um, and obviously as I got older and moved away, I saw less less of her. Um, and she passed away a few years ago now, but eight, eight years ago, I think it is. So um, she never really hasn't seen any of the resurgence of the knitting, mm. um, which started when um, I was expecting my first child. And that's what, of course, what you do. Everybody starts knitting again. It's a thing. Um, so she hasn't seen any of what that hot water bottle cover has turned into. Uh, I think she'd be quite pleased, though. I think so. If not a little confused by what I'm doing on the internet with all those strange people. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's aspects of it that she'd be scratching her head about. But I think at the core of the knitting community is is that aspect of, of connecting with people who are like-minded. And I imagine in her time, then she, uh, she had friends that maybe she knitted with or circles or knitting circles, I believe the communities are called, if I'm not mistaken. And it was a way for you to bond with people on a, on a shared love of, of, a, of a certain um, topic or, or, or hobby. And so I, I don't know that at that level anything has changed here. I think it's just the tools that we use to create that community have um, grown and are now more available on a global scale. So I think part of what you what would happen below uh, in in older times in a in like a small town or in in places near where she lived, you can do that to some extent with people that you may never ever get to meet. Mm. And I'm wondering if um, that aspect of of the community is something that you've seen as as the show has grown. Absolutely. Um... If you told me, uh, so even five years ago, that you, I was going to leave the military and I was going to start a show on the internet about knitting and that all of my friends would end up um, being knitters and that I would 
build two businesses out of it and an award-winning podcast whatever a podcast is um then i'd have thought you were completely bonkers um but it is it is true and i think the fact that this whole industry has grown um around ravelry as a platform and that there are independent publishers publishing their own designs they're designing their own designs there's you know all, the whole support for that um as well is pretty crazy and when I think that you know I have listeners that email me and they'll say oh I was I was listening to you whilst I was driving my train in Australia I drive the world's longest trains and I'm just like oh I hope she was concentrating on what she was doing and not just laughing at me um and there's a lady in Denmark who regularly rides her horse whilst listening to the podcast and sends me honey from her bees that she keeps and there's a lady in Alaska who delivers post listening um, to my podcast so thinking that you're in someone's ears you know it's a really intimate form of communication even more so than video you you're right there in their head like their own voice yeah and to think you're doing that in all the corners of the globe when the whole thing takes place in in just kind of your spare room or or wherever you record it's it's really powerful commu- method of communication i think that being a podcaster allows me to tap into the community in a bigger way than I would be able to as an ordinary knitter. What's funny is that when they send you feedback about them listening to the show, you can't help but imagine them like where they are in that point of time. And to your example of the woman who was driving, who's riding driving the train <laughs> the longest train she sent me pictures <laughs> looking out the front of her train with my little podcast on her phone i was just oh wow that's amazing <laughs> what's the the other one that i thought was entertaining was the the woman who was riding a she's riding a horse while she's listening to your podcast is that right yes in that's a danish it. forest it sounds lovely <laughs> And and knitting at the same time. <laughs> Possibly. She's very fast. So maybe that may be the way she gets it all done. I'm just like the mind wanders, right? Like, is she knitting like clothing for her horse? Is she, yeah, is she knitting? <laughs> so. Could be. I could look for patterns, you know, mate. I could, I could find you could. your pattern. You could. I'm yes. sure you could. Yeah, that, that's your, that's your homework. Uh, so it must be. A really, a really good feeling, right? It's, and to to your point about not even imagining where this would have led to prior, you know, if you were thinking about this prior to you starting the podcast, and now to think about this global reach that you have, I know that when I come across listeners at a conference or I get feedback online and I say, hey, I'm getting caught up in your back catalog, I mean, that really hits a nerve with me because, you know, thank you is like, if I feel is like not enough sometimes to say that you're actually taking time out of your day to consume my content. And it, it, it does inspire me to keep moving forward. You know, there's weeks when it's like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get an episode recorded or edited and I gotta do some marketing for the show. But I think it's moments like this that put it into context. And I'm wondering if it's, it's has the same supportive effect for you as well. Yeah, I think so. I think there's, there's definitely times where you get fatigued as a podcaster and you think, oh, what am I going to talk about this week? And, you know, I'm just I'm just not in the mood. I might just go sit down and knit or something. Um, you just you, you come up across these these periods where you're really inspired and you come across these ones where it's, it's waning a little bit. And I've, I always find the times where 
you're sort of questioning whether you know you really should be doing this anymore maybe maybe you must start another podcast about something else that you want to talk about now or or whatever else something will happen someone will email you or they'll send you a message or you'll get uh, frequently get pictures of dogs in knitwear somewhat unsurprisingly or men in dodgy crocheted trousers a lot um and they'll send things like that and you'll just realize why you do it and it will all come back and there was um an email that came in the other week I was having this kind of oh I'm, I'm you know I've, I've lost three interviews because my Skype broke and one of them was really high profile and I've been planning all this for ages and I'm so frustrated mm. and then I get an email from a lady who um, the title of the email is corpsing now I wasn't aware what corpsing meant neither am I and no, well, it's okay. It's not as bad as it sounds, but obviously you look at it and you're like, what is this? And it could be anything because I'm talking about knitted underwear made out of strawberry laces or taking the mick out of, you know, whatever. Toilet covers. Um, and apparently it's like a theatrical term to mean that you're creasing over with laughter. And she said she's been listening to the podcast in her office and they're all dead boring and grey suited and really stiff. And she's listening to this podcast and literally crying laughing and corpsing over um listening to the show and you're like well that's what i want you know i don't want to be a super serious knitting podcaster who's dead technically correct and serious about it and um, you can do it and have a laugh because people come to it for so many different reasons and it might be at a time of a big life change like if a baby's coming along or it could be um, to help them cope with stress or depression or it could be just as a creative outlet you know something they want to try with their hands because they work in really kind of cold technological environments now a lot of us do and people come for all sorts of reasons and there's such a vibrant kind of entrepreneurial community running within it and it's just remembering all of that really um, and tapping into that sort of enthusiasm for the subjects again that sort of also kind of carries you along yeah it, I, it's something almost like to your point that you you build up this archive i, I i'm envisioning a, a squirrel when saving the nuts for the winter but it's but it's from from a goodwill perspective you're sort of like putting these in a basket so that when you can pull from those when you hit those those troughs those low points and you're wondering uh, i really don't have the motivation so you look back at those moments when you did get that email or, or they did send you that picture or maybe you even just have a folder with all those photos in them <laughs> for a for a laugh and you just pull you know it's time for that jolt of inspiration and you pull up the folder and then you know i imagine all you need to do is look at a couple of them and you're 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 good <laughs> you're, you're good for uh at least a couple of days and and, and your hopes are and your uh, spirits are raised again yeah definitely and and that's what it's about for me it's like I, I just want them to come and have a laugh and check out of their daily life and I have a bit of escapism and you know some people find me a little bit too jokey <laughs> and feel like I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of things and I am but it's I never make fun of anyone in a horrible way it's always in a you know like you've designed these this entire set of, of toilet covers and I couldn't design a thing so I'm not patient enough and they're really funny they're cool they're quirky you know you're not taking yourself too seriously so it, that's a great thing it should yeah. be celebrated it doesn't all have to be totally serious so and i think we've i've talked about it before on the show but i think 
there's something really important about finding out who are the people that you don't resonate with. And mm-hmm. they're going to eventually not listen to the show as much or just stop listening. But the people that do get your humor and the people that do find you funny and the people who who are corpsing at the... <laughs> At the, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to inject that into my into my you conversation. <laughs> the people who are corpsing um, every time you release a new episode, those are those are your, that's your tribe. Those are your fans, and uh, they're, they're gonna they're. I feel like almost the, like one of those people is equal to like ten negative folks who 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 are not attracted because the power of that one person who's such a super fan. Um, is enough to kind of you know like like you said lift your spirits and give you and give you inspiration and if they ever have an opportunity to talk about the podcast you I you can't get a better champion for 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 your team than than someone who's enjoying the show that much. No, absolutely. And the the award that I got was for the most engaged audience. And they are. My audience are brilliant. And I always say to people who are thinking about podcasting and a lot of people worry about putting themselves out there. And I think it's it's a bit more of a kind of female trait to have not being too generalistic. We, you know, women do tend to kind of hold back a little bit and they're frightened of kind of taking the leap and getting into it. And I always say, look, you know, you can you can go out there and try and please everyone. You can be the grey man. You can be the ready, salty crisps of the world. Nobody gets that excited about ready salted crisps. I'm pickled onion. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. Um, And that's what you need to be because it is like, you know, it's a law of physics. You can't have people that really love you if you don't have people that can't stand the sound of your voice or your face. Yeah. (laughs) That is that is a fact of life, and we nobody ever likes to think that people don't like them. But you can't have one without having the other. That's so. true because you're not you're not going to be for everyone. And, no. and the quicker you can find that out, and the quicker you can make it clear where you stand and what you you know what your sense of humor is like and what your content's going to be like, and and I, I think setting the stage early on in your show really is i think it's critical because it's it's it gives your show character it gives it um i think some sort of structure in a way that people know what they're getting when they listen to you and the sooner you can find your identity i think if once you you focus in on on that identity i feel like it's something that you then just hone and and you you fine tune it as you go but if if you if you wait a long time to do that on a podcast, then people don't know really what side of the fence you're on and they feel like you're trying to like be everything for everyone and, and we all know, you know, what happens when you take that approach. Yeah, definitely. And people want to be with people that are like them. They want to know why you're doing what you're doing. They want to know what motivates you and what you believe in. And if you never share that because you're too frightened of of sharing your opinion and someone not liking it or someone disagreeing with you, then they're never going to identify with you enough to stick with you for the long term. Because, you know, podcast listening, as you'll know yourself, being someone who loves podcasts, it's a commitment. It's a lot of time. Um, And there are so many out there. There's no need to stick with someone that you don't really resonate with. You can find what you're looking for right there because there is someone producing something for everyone, is my opinion. And I very, very rarely have people tell me they don't like it. 
probably I don't know because they, they think <laughs> I'm scary um, <laughs> or it's impolite. But if anyone ever does, I'll just say, okay, thank you know, thank you very much for listening and trying it. You know, I know I'm not for everyone. What sort of thing are you into? Can I recommend someone else for you to maybe go try? Because there will be someone for them. Yeah, and I probably know them. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's really important and. It was something you said really uh, clicked for me when you, it, this, it's almost the idea of a relationship and that you have to put time into a relationship. So if, you know, people that are married, people that have boyfriends, girlfriends, they know that if you, you need to make it interesting and you need to find new ways to make it interesting if you really want to have this be a long-term relationship. Right. And I think it's really important as a podcaster to have that mentality because if you keep doing the things that you were doing, uh, you know, two years ago or however long your podcast is and not continuing to keep things fresh and still your character, still your personality, but, you know, just not be afraid to try new things and, and to grow and to see other ways that you can engage with your audience and have them engage with you. I think uh, to your point, there's new podcasters coming out and, and, you know, some of it is shiny object syndrome because people will see the next, you know, uh, podcast coming up on a, on a certain topic. They're like, oh, let me try that for a while. But I feel like you need to give them, and, and let me know if you uh, agree or not, you need to give them something to always uh, remember why they listen to you in the first place. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it's like your calling card. And that's that's kind of what I'm kind of getting to in a roundabout way with the you need to put your personality into it. And you need to share some of yourself with them. Yeah. And I think that is a mis well, I, I would call it a mistake that that maybe new podcasters make is that they're too frightened of putting too much of their own self into it, too much of their own personality, what they're really like and not what they're like, you know, on show. And they don't want to share any of their background with people or anything like that. And, you know, there is a point where it becomes the me, me, me show. And I think there's a happy medium to be found. But I think you need to give people enough that they feel like they're involved and you need to ask enough of them and, and you know, be show interest in what they're doing and ask them about how their dog's doing, if it's been sick or whatever else, you know, you need to be maintaining these relationships and it does take effort. It yeah. does. You can't just be, you're not one person in a vacuum. If you want a successful show, you have to engage with the people and you have to show them that you are interested in what they've got to say and that you care about them and you can't do it for everyone. No. But you can do it for enough of them on enough of a basis that they feel valued because they should be valued because they spend so much of their time listening to you. I really like what you're saying. I really think everyone who is podcasting is thinking about podcasting needs to replay those those last that last minute and a half <laughs> because it just bears repeating. I'm wondering where you saw this um, because. Or is this something that you knew when you were you're getting started podcasting or that you learned along the way? And who was it that was inspiring you or teaching you into what are some of the, the, the best practices in terms of building a follower, a, a, follower, a, a fans in, in podcasting? Um, well, my podcast started kind of before it became trendy to be podcasting. So my mentor was a lady called Martine Ellis, who did the I Make podcast. Um, she recently retired the podcast, but there's, um, there's plans for another one. There's plans for another one, let's just say that. And 
she uh, was the first podcast I'd ever listened to. And I was, you know, having this handmade Christmas because I'd just retired from being in the military and I've got all this time to be a 1950s housewife. And I wanted a podcast so I could make things and listen at the same time. So she was the one that came up when I put craft podcasts in. That was her. She was on episode seven at the time. And as you do, I just binge listened to all of them. And then emailed her and I was like, oh, my friend needs some help with this knitting pattern. Would you mind having a look at it? <laughs> um, and then she referred, she didn't know the answer. She referred me on to her friend called Kate. We'll come back to Kate in a minute. And um, she was the one when I was thinking, we, you know, we, we built up this relationship chatting back and forth. She was the one when I was thinking about starting a podcast. Well, when I started my blog, I was like, Martin, could you have a look at my blog? You know, you've inspired me so much. I've done this blog. And she was the one who was like, definitely go for podcasting. This is what you need to know. This is how you can set it up. This is what I do. She was really generous with her time. And I kind of, I knew from what, she did and how she talked to people um, and how excited I was. You know, when I got a mention on the podcast, I was like, come on, come on, listen. She said my name on the podcast. This is amazing. I'm famous. <laughs> and that's how people feel when they care about what you do and you mention them and you acknowledge them. That's how yeah. they feel because that's how I felt. And I am excitable. Um, but a lot of people do. They get excited. They'll tweet about it. Joe mentioned me on the podcast, which is brilliant. You know, it's brilliant. Um, but the, 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 the kind of the rest of the story with Kate, because we're going to come back to Martine's friend Kate, is that I, three years later, started a business with Kate, having never met her in real life, wow. started a yarn business with her. And that was the original kit from the very first message um, and how it all kind of came back in a big circle, really. So it was all from, from that, really. And because I'm a very chatty person and because I like to have a laugh with people and it was just responding to them, talking to them, you know, doing the things for them that I really liked. And that, that, that was how it grew, really. So it was all very organic. Everything's been very organic. It's really interesting because I don't know that at the time Martine had any idea when she started her podcast who would be listening, who she would be influencing, inspiring, motivating. And I, I wonder if, if she thinks about it and and where you've taken the show and, and how you've grown and, and now you've built your own following and how it comes full circle that listeners are being inspired by you, by your podcast, by what you're doing, what you did, what you started with the blog. And it's just interesting because you just, sometimes you do these things without even thinking about the impact, mm -hmm. but it's mo more important that you do it and you do it with passion and realize that you're you're going to have an impact down the line and, and you won't be able to know where, you won't be able to know when, and you won't be able to point to who or what country they're going to be calling or, or or being inspired from. But I just think it's fascinating when when we do these things that uh, there is this potential to to impact other people. And I think that's one of the, the, the really, really great things about podcasting. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, for me, when I started, it was a way of reaching out to people because I'd gone from being in this big military family and quite a serious job and controlling aircraft. So I was still on a radio all day, I still had a microphone and a headset. So it's kind of the same. And going and moving to South Africa in a really rural area in South Africa and having two gig of internet that cost like 30 pounds. So what's that, like $45 for two gig that was basically beamed on like a wide area network from a mountain 30 kilometers away <laughs> that I got from this, you know, this Afrikaans guy came and put this like little aerial on my roof. Wow. And, um, and it was a way of, of, finding other people who were interested in what I was interested in and being able to talk to people and converse with um, people and feel part of a community that I wasn't in. I was like this Brit and I'm on my own in the middle of a really rural area in South Africa. And it was a, a, a quite an alien environment. And to start this podcast and sort of start talking to people back in the UK, other knitters in South Africa, um, and all over the world was kind of my way of still having the community that I was kind of missing from home. So it was quite an interesting one, and and one that took me on a very the, the Africa Chronicles. And if you listen to the first sort of ten episodes, they're really rustic. And I'm talking about these warthogs that are eating grass on my lawn, and this snake, this boomslang snake that lives in my garage. <laughs> it's enormous. <laughs> And sharing that, you know, I was like, this is so strange. I'm living in this really weird place and it's so alien, so cool. Let me tell you the stories of the things that happen here and how my friend's dog got impaled by a warthog and whatever happened, you know. Um, and I don't really know where that, this kind of storytelling element came into it, but it was a way of, of kind of expanding the reach and doing something new and trying a new skill. Um and reaching out to that kind of community to tap into it, really. So, is there a storytelling um, aspect to any to anything that's in your family history? Do you remember stories growing up, or no? I mean, it was never one of those things where you know you you know if your dad used to tell you these amazing stories of anything. And that was a thing, but I, I was very bookish, incredibly bookish. And I would just consume book after book after book. And when I was very small, we used to get these. And if, if it's if your UK listeners will know of this, I don't know if they have them in the States, but we used to get a book fair that would come to school. Yeah. And there would be these enormous silver like roadie cases and they would open them up and there would be books in them that you could come and buy and and I had one pound ninety nine pence to go and buy the very hungry caterpillar. Now I got there and they sold out, but I only had one pound ninety nine. It's the last day of the book fair, and I want my book, but I can't have the very hungry caterpillar. And the only other book I can buy is the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm. Quite a disparate level of reading there. <laughs> But I bought it and it took me about three months to read it and I would read a couple of pages a night to get through it. Still one of my favourite books um, of all time and I still have that actual book on my bookshelf downstairs. Wow. 
um, with my name scrawled in it. Six-year-old Joe writes in her name, you know. Um, and I think that's where the storytelling and, and picking out all the different things comes from, is that I've just read so many books and I just enjoy... A part of the comedies is that you can tell the story and they can imagine themselves there and then they can see what's happening and why it's funny. And it's partly delivery, but there's a lot of scenes setting to get you kind of... So you can imagine yourself in that situation. So that's probably where it's from to answer that's, your question. That's interesting that you mention the line, the witch in the wardrobe, because I remember watching the animated cartoon when I was younger <laughs> that was created based on that book and that 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 cartoon like fascinated me like the the idea of like this other world and a lot of adult themes in that book and you know the um i'm, I'm sure i'm not spoiling mm. I'm, I'm sure i'm not spoiling it at this point for anyone who hasn't read it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's some uh, death in the in the in the story as well and rebirth and it, it's it was pretty heady stuff for uh, a little kid to, to to read and i actually was looking forward to um when they made the motion picture of Narnia, which was the, mm. the first story. And then it continues, but the first one was really, really good. I think they did a really good job. And I think it just speaks to every child's imagination about, you know, this fascination with other worlds and things hidden in plain sight and, you know, the, the wardrobe and all you needed to do was step in there and be transported. And in a way, um, I don't think it's much of a stretch to think about your your podcast that way. Like when people are in there and you are holding their attention for like forty five minutes for an hour, and don't isn't that what we really want to do at the end of the day? Really transport people to like something else, get them out of thinking, you know, what what their day to day life, and just have a laugh and and enjoy something that's not part of their everyday existence. Yeah, definitely. And it, that's always been a, a focus for me is to have just to give them a bit of a break away from whatever it is that they're doing and to just just take it a little bit bit further on, on the humor side and have a laugh because the world's a pretty horrible place at times. Um, and there's enough of that around without us dwelling on it. Yeah. And I just think having um, humor's always been a really good way for me to cope with things. And obviously, having been in the military and done active service and all that kind of stuff, it's very, very like the kind of humor we have. Most people would be like, you really can't say that. <laughs> and you can't in the wrong company. You, you can't, in fairness. Um, but being able to kind of find that happy medium of acceptable humor. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. It helps you to cope. And I think if you're making someone else laugh, then that, that's a really powerful thing. So you've mentioned the uh, the military a couple of times. I, I wanted to ask you, what was one of the most important things you learned during your time there? Um, I think there were probably two things. Um, one was never underestimate the importance of a head torch in any situation in life. <laughs> And because um, it'll get you out of anything, get you out of a zombie apocalypse, or um, you know your car breaking down, or indeed any any I, mishap you find yourself. You said, a, you said a head torch. A head torch, yeah. Can you define what that might be for people who are not familiar with that term? A head. How can you know what a head torch is, Harry? Um, a head torch is a torch, an LED torch. The, um, a flashlight, a flashlight that attaches to your head. Sorry, I'm speaking British. <laughs> That's. That's much clearer now. <laughs> what do you call those? Uh, a headlamp. A headlamp. A head yeah, yeah. Well, a headlamp for me is on a car and not 
on my head, hence the confusion. But yes, never underestimate how useful one of those can be in your life in any situation. I actually, um, I actually and, own a head, a, a, a mini, um, a civilian head torch, if you will. We we went to Burning Man, so we actually had to have those. That's required if you're going to be roaming around the playa. See, they, there you go, you see. They're, I think they use them mostly for climbing. They're, they tend to be in the climbing yes. section. Um, I, I didn't feel the need to go into a cave, but it is useful for every other situation you might find yourself in. Perfect. Um, and the other thing I think I learned is um, never underestimate um, or rather, what's, that? what's the word I'm looking for? I got distracted by the flashlight, Harry. Um, the take, other thing that... Go on. Take for granted? No, it isn't taking things for granted either. It's gone, like the words have completely gone. The other thing I learned from being in the military, the biggest lesson is probably to get help before you think you need it. Because by the time you realise that you need it, you've gone past the point where actually bringing the help on to be helpful at that point has passed and quite often you'll get to a stage where you've gone so far past that you won't even realize you need help you just completely maxed out you've lost all your capacity um and i think that is an important lesson doing the job i was doing controlling aircraft um really really important and it's also an important lesson for for life in general because we're all very guilty especially people who you know are entrepreneurs or run their own businesses very guilty of just working more and more and more to get things done and sometimes the thing you're trying to achieve is bigger than the capacity of one person and I think realizing that early is the key to success and getting people in earlier rather than waiting until you have nothing to offer yourself basically because you're so far beyond your own capacity. That's really really good um, takeaways and those are the types of lessons that maybe at the time you were learning them, you didn't realize it would, it would be something that you would carry through for your whole life. But I think now, in retrospect, you realize just how valuable they are. Yeah, definitely. I think as a controller in particular, the the, the biggest lesson I learned was um, spider sense. Mm-hmm. And I call it spider sense like Spider-Man because at, there's, not, there's nothing else for it. You could call it a gut instinct. You can call it, you know, what you want. But... Um, it's that feeling and I always used to teach my students that you know if you feel like you should be doing this you should have already done it because you start to develop that sixth sense for what you need to do and what's going to happen next and um that that was what I would always teach them that and that hope wasn't a method of separation so there are different ways you can separate aircraft there are different rules you can use and but hope is not one of those so you can't just hope it was going to go away or that it was, you know, it was going to be enough space. Hope is not a method of separation. Um, and again, quite a good lesson for life. Just hoping things are going to happen. Yeah, that's a <laughs> it's good. not a method of getting anything done. Well, so that, I'd say they were my, my main takeaways. Those are, those are very, very, uh, very good. And, and, and I think that I would think they make you now uh, cause you to look back at, at your time in there with, with a little bit of fondness as well. Absolutely. You do learn some useful stuff. That and how to iron really, really well. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely. Uh, thank you for sharing that. No problem. Um, you mentioned um, what was interesting was you were talking about the, the cost of the Internet is very expensive in South Africa. 
Mm. And one of the things I heard you mention on the episode was you would have to wait until you were, I think, back in the UK or outside of South Africa, and you would have to download all the episodes of the podcast that you were listening to at the time so that when you were back in South Africa, you could listen to them offline. And what I thought was really interesting was this idea of, okay, I have a limited amount of bandwidth. And so when I'm back at a point when I I know I, I can download a bunch of episodes, there's a selection process about what's going to make it into my queue, right? And mm-hmm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how important it is to... Um, have some sort of process to, to li- so that you're listening to the things that you really want to listen to because we take it for granted when we have unlimited data plans that we're just I'll just listen to this and listen to this and listen to this and, and this podcast. And, and I, I've been prone to do that as well. But I, I think there's something to be said about restricting your choices so that you can make better choices. Yeah, certainly. I think constraints are always a good thing, obviously. Um, in that it does really focus you on choosing things for quality so if I had need of, of my if I bought some extra an extra gig what if I buy an extra gig just to download Martine because I knew that I would love whatever she put out but for other people it was a case of, of picking and choosing because they didn't I mean they don't have like Starbucks you can go and download Wi-Fi or anything in Limpopo you know it just doesn't work like that so it was really a sort of like the favourites first. And if, if I didn't really resonate with someone, I did either look for something in the show notes that I thought, yeah, I really want to hear that part, or I just wouldn't download that episode. Um, weirdly, lots of, when I mentioned that on the podcast, lots of my listeners who lived in more civilised areas were like, can I please record all of these to CD for you and post them? So I had CDs come over from like the States and wow. the UK. <laughs> And um, one of my listeners in Johannesburg recorded all of because it was easier for her to get internet in Johannesburg. And um, she recorded a load onto a disc and basically took them to uh, my husband at an air show and gave them to him, wow. <laughs> so I could listen to them all. Because that that's what knitters do for each other. Because they're like, this this is terrible. You have nothing to listen to. And it wasn't a oh poor me, you know, give me stuff. It was just a, I've got you know this is what I've got to do, and I can't keep up with all the giveaways. <laughs> I'm listening five months later and this has all happened. <laughs> That's really fantastic. And it's just a testament mm-hmm. to what a community you've built that they go above and beyond and they do these really fantastic uh, and heartwarming things for you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, like if I'm talking about a project and I get to the end of my yarn, I'm like, oh, my yarn's running out. What am I going to do? I'll have at least three emails saying, I've got some of that left over. Can I send it to you? And so they'll send me that and I'll gift them a pattern and you know it all kind of comes around and they are they're very very generous people and very kind and very giving with themselves and with their their time and their resources and you can never I can never take it for granted how lucky I am to have that very 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 yeah very important thing to keep in mind and something like that bears repeating and I I think as podcasters, we want to really ensure that we never take our listeners for granted. And it's almost like a plaque that needs to be on the wall <laughs> as we record each episode, because you know, there's probably times when we tend to forget that. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me uh, something that you've changed your mind about recently. Oh, that's weird. I feel like you're in my head. <laughs> But you're not, obviously. Um, 
Loads of stuff, loads of stuff. Um, probably one of the most um, relevant, I guess, to to the to your listeners are um, aspects around monetizing of the podcast, which I know you were a subject you're quite into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was doing. Initially, I started with sponsorship, just kind of as and when I wanted to take it on, just to cover the costs of the podcast uh, as it went to a weekly schedule and everything and postage because I have a lot of prizes and whatnot. Um, And then I looked at Patreon as a platform for sort of a way that I could give more of what my listeners wanted because I wasn't really sure at this point what they wanted from me over and above the show. And... um, and maybe get some kind of money back in to actually pay all of the fees and everything for for hosting. And so I set up my Patreon and I've done all the stuff, you know, I've made these packages based on what they say they want and I've got like a hardcore gang in there. And it's covering costs and everything like that. Um, And sort of how I thought it was going to go and how it's actually panning out are two different things completely and actually what people say they want and what they actually want are not the same thing, um, which everyone says, but you never believe it till you do it. And um, I'm now looking at kind of how I can wind that side of things down, the Patreon down, because I'm finding the platform increasingly clunky to use and slow and isn't really giving me that way of communicating that at the level that I want to with them. It just doesn't feel right to me. And um, increasing the sponsorship again. So it's more of a hands-off thing because I'm never going to have a sponsor tell me what I'm going to talk about on a, on a show anyway, point one. I'm never going to have a sponsor they don't like or that I wouldn't use. Um, so the impact that sponsorship will have on them is just a bit of an inconvenience for you know a minute and a half out of 45, mm-hmm. uh, which they're, they're willing to take. They're used to hearing um, and maybe wind down the Patreon as an option because I just don't feel that that's worked the way that I envisaged it would and it's quite labour intensive to have another platform to be posting on. Yeah, that's what I've heard uh, the people that have had it some of them have had varying degrees of success but I think to your point if you think start thinking about special content just for those listeners and then you know it's hard enough to to keep on a regular schedule with our free content, much less to think about what can I provide that's now going to be separate and have to give to this other audience. Um, and like you said, manage on a platform. I set up a page a long time ago, but I haven't touched it in, in a while. So I definitely agree it's a, a bit more effort than they probably thought. Mm. Um, tell me something that's um, one thing that's the, the most misunderstood thing about you. That's a good question. Probably my accent. Everybody thinks I'm from Yorkshire when I'm from Lancashire. (laughs) I think probably um, the thing that I hear most, other than uh, whereabouts in Yorkshire are you from, because I'm not (laughs) from Yorkshire (laughs) at all, um, is uh, that I'm, I'm a bit... It varies, depending on how polite the person is. So I'm either blunt or direct. Um, and sometimes people misunderstand that for being a little bit scary. Um, and it's not it's genetic. I'm northern. We're all like this. Everybody is very blunt. 
with the way that they communicate with people and we don't tend to pussyfoot around. Um, and I think that is the thing that probably I would say people misunderstand is that I'm proper fluffy, really. I'm very friendly. I'm not, I'm not harsh at all unless someone is just not doing their job properly. But I, I'm not actually as, as abrupt as I say. Well, there's something to be said for having people know where you stand, right? It sort of cuts through the BS and gets the, gets to, you know, you can have a, a shorter conversation with people you don't want to talk to. And then the people who do get you, um, you know, they, they laugh with you and, and they don't, you know, they don't take themselves too seriously. And I, I think I enjoy personally talking to people like that as well, because I think it's, it's a bit more real and it, it's how real people talk, I think. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, maybe it's a bit less of a problem in the US because you guys tend to be more direct anyway. There's just not this kind of weird social norms that we have in Britain, you know, that, that there is there's just things you do when you're British, like you bump into someone and apologise straight away, even though they bumped into you, you apologise, you know. It's these daft rules that we have that we're all brought up with that just make us a little bit kind of socially awkward with this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Um, very interesting um I'm, i really enjoyed uh, this opportunity to get to know get to know you a little bit more and uh i'm glad we I, I, that's why I, I really love these extended conversations because you just never know where they're gonna where they're gonna go and uh I'm, I'm, I'm glad you've taken the time to to come on the show so i really appreciate it oh it's a pleasure harry definitely and thank you for having me i really appreciate it so where is the uh the best place for folks to track you down online um, they can come find me at shinybees.com where the podcast has its home and all the show notes but I'm on all the usual podcast outlets as well so iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, Libsyn on all of that good stuff and you'll find me mostly being a little bit sarcastic on Twitter and posting pictures of knitwear and dogs or dogs in knitwear or tonics tea cakes on Instagram <laughs> okay um, I think you should send over some of those photos and we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel the listeners need it. I will find my best photos for you. In fact, I can probably even find a pattern for disco. He doesn't have any knitwear. I think he needs some Fair Isle. I think he needs some Fair Isle. <laughs> I, think, I think he does. And I think uh, who better to get it from than, than, than the Shiny Bees podcaster, right? Exactly. I don't knit for just any dog, you know, or <laughs> no. any person, in fact. <laughs> Very, very good. Well, I, I highly encourage uh, folks to check out the podcast. Um, I, I've, a, I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I think they're going to really get a, a proper laugh, as you say, out of your show. And, and I, I hope you get some new listeners as a result of, of, of this episode as well. Oh, me too. And everyone is welcome. All right. Take, take care. Have a fantastic day. All right. Cheers, Harry. Cheers. So how about all those funny places that people told Joe uh, they listened to the show from. That's a horribly crafted sentence there. <laughs> the, all those places where they said they were listening to the show, I mean, on a train, it, it was, that's funny. Uh, and you always wonder as a podcaster, like, where are people consuming this show? Like, I'm wondering if if, if anyone uh, is listening to this, uh, if you could just tweet me, podcast underscore junkies, um, and let me know where you're listening to this right now, right? Literally right now, just pause it and just say like, uh, at podcast junkies, I am walking the dog. I am jogging. 
I am cooking dinner, I am skydiving, something like that. I'm just curious. It's it just fascinates me because and you know, I have regular listeners and I'm I know where I listen to the show. You know, I'm walking the dog is usually where, where I'm I'm doing it and I'm catching up to shows. Uh, sometimes when I'm driving as well too. But uh, that was interesting and it's something all of us podcasters think about definitely. So I, I really hope you enjoyed the conversation um, and, and I'm glad I'm broadening the the pool that I'm drawing from in terms of podcasters. I'm glad she's the first knitting podcast on the show, and I and I enjoyed uh, the her her insights from her time in the military. I thought that was pretty cool as well. So this episode is brought to you by Cast Source. Cast Source is a new tool for podcasters who understand the importance of repurposing content by converting your existing audio into a full transcript. Now, I know a lot of folks are on the fence about this and they're uh, not sure about the value of doing that, but for myself and for my clients, for uh, the ones I produce shows for, I can't really tell you how important it has been to have a full transcript of the audio. Um, I've been able to repurpose it on sites like medium.com. I've had it formatted into a PDF that one of the clients had printed up 250 copies to give to their guest who was about to speak at a conference. That was awesome. The great thing about working with someone like Cast Source is they'll take the transcription and instead of just dumping it into a plain old boring text file, if you want it in HTML, if you want it in a PDF, if you give if you give them the layout of the form uh, a format for the the output that you want it in, they'll they'll output it into that format for you. And they proofread the transcriptions, accuracy over 99%. They create a workflow that actually suits your needs and not the other way around. So they've got really competitive rates. I really encourage you to check them out. Go to podcastjunkies.com slash castsource, C-A-S-T-S-O-U-R-C-E. And uh, try it out on your next transcription. If you don't do it, then try it once and uh, see how it comes out, have it repurposed, and share it with your listeners as a free giveaway. I think that's something that uh, can be a way to get more engagement. You'd be surprised how many people don't consume podcasts, but will actually consume um, a transcription in printed form. Don't forget, there's still a lot of of, uh, older listeners to podcasts who are new to podcasts, um, and who might have this transcription as their gateway into consuming the content. Because at the end of the day, guys, we just want them to consume the content. And we just naturally assume it's going to be through the podcast. But if there's a way we can get into their hands, how cool would that be? So this show is a proud member of Podcastica. Check out all the shows on the network at podcastica.com. The intro and outro music was composed by Cedar and Soil. That's cedarsoil.com. And if you've made it this far, congratulations. I need a trumpet sound to put here. If you made it this far, the retention hashtag is KnittingJoe. That's K-N-I-T-T-I-N-G-J-O in honor of uh, Joe's podcast. Her Twitter handle is ShinyBees. S-H-I-N-Y-B-E-E-S. Mine is podcast underscore junkies. The hashtag is KnittingJoe. If you've made it this far, we would love to know that. We keep track of all these people. It's like a naughty and nice list of podcast junkies listeners. 
and um, I'm going to do something special with it at the end of the year. I have no idea what. I just made that up right now. Thank you so much, guys. Have a fantastic week. I love you for all your support. If you haven't told at least one person about the show, please do. I would really like that. we got to spread the podcasting love far and wide. 90 episodes. That's kind of cool.